Hi, it's Jen. I bet you weren't expecting to hear from me again just yet. As we were producing this conversation with Scott and the next few conversations for upcoming episodes, we had an aha. There's some really, really good stuff in these interviews, and it all fell on the cutting room floor. So we're going to try something that we didn't originally plan on, and now we're sharing. Talk about vulnerability. On the Thursday, following a newly released interviewed episode, we're going to share the uncut, unedited, long-form conversation with you. We really hope it feels like you're just sitting in a chair at a table with us. In this week's episode with Scott, we pulled the threads of what it is to embrace vulnerability. And as you'll hear in this longer conversation, we both dove much deeper into the exact places where vulnerability touches our vocation, creativity, family life, and even spiritual leadership. You'll hear more of his fun, funny, provocative nature come out. And I have to say, I accidentally prompted him to tell a vasectomy story and we didn't filter our language choices. Now, we're not telling you to clutch your pearls, but we just had a real life conversation. You know what I mean? We talk about our families by name, our prayer lives, yes, actually, our evolving work as spiritual directors, the Enneagram, making art, embarrassing moments, and how leaders, especially those in the church, need to be living out what they're teaching in private, personal ways. <laughs> or as Scott succinctly says, smoking what you're selling. So enjoy. Here's my conversation with Scott Erickson, or Scott the Painter, as you might know him, in all of its full beauty. One last question before we, I kind of dive into questions. <laughs> Let's pretend that sentence didn't happen. Yeah. Um what questions do you have for us? Anything? And is there anything that you're particularly like, for sure, don't ask me about that? No, I am an Enneagram four and my greatest strength <laughs> is authenticity. So I, I'm i willing to go everywhere and anywhere. So yeah, let's cool. Uh, no. Um, I, I probably I do. will not ask you about the vasectomy you had reversed, which I heard you talk about on the uh, Lover Work podcast. But that was that was awesome. Made me really happy to hear all about that. <laughs> oh man, there's a bit. I there's going to be a bit out of that for something because it's just <laughs> got to like be one of, the, one of those like it's one of those like why didn't you think this through better you know human <laughs> stories and then. The actual, like where I ended up in like rural Oklahoma on this table with a guy playing, you know, soft uh, worship music. Like, I don't really know the guys from Mercy Me. My friend works with them. So I've met Uh him a few times, but I just have this moment where it's like, I can only imagine his playing as I'm having like surgery on my testicles. And I'm like, I I should tell them, like, I wonder if they've heard like the context in which this song is played. If they've never thought about it. Anyways, yes, we don't, we can talk about that, but. Nah. uh, I mean, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, Yeah. Also, okay. Short sidebar. Were you in Oklahoma because of, um, like, since we've become entrepreneurs, my husband Uh joined me six months after we launched. We we now do our healthcare, um, you know, (laughs) self-pay. Oh, and go to Oklahoma? Well, we haven't gone to Oklahoma, but a lot of the different research that we've done has said like there are multiple surgery centers in Oklahoma that oh yeah handle my wife started because my wife came to me and was like I think you should I want to have more another kid and I was like that's funny uh, and she's like well, you can get a reversal I was like that's funnier and then she looked it up and it's like ten thousand dollars to get a reversal then she found some people in Texas this is when we lived in Portland 
that uh, would do it for five. And then one of that guy was like, well, I know this guy who does it. It's like his Christian ministry and he'll do it for like 1900 and he's out in like Oklahoma and, <laughs> and it's true. He does it like three a day. He prays with you before it happens. It's a, it's a whole thing. Wow. It's great. I'm yeah. Like, anyways. So I'm that's, that's why we like ended that. in Oklahoma, but maybe there's some like state, you know, relief for <laughs> individual entrepreneurial surgical businesses. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a part of the like, whatever, different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know your wife is also an entrepreneur, so we'll, we can talk about healthcare perhaps another time. That's been yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There um, you go. Cool. So um, I'm going to jump in then since there's nothing that's off limits and yeah. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a button pusher normally. I have moments. Oh, okay. Okay. Not in, well, not in interviews. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, wait, you know, I have a book coming out next week, right? I do. We're going to talk. Honest Advent. Okay, great. Primarily. You know, I'm going to be in Waco on Thursday next I week. I do. And I'm very sad that I will not be able to be there because I'll be in Montreat on a retreat. I, I hate But you. our okay. whole rest of our team is going to be there. They're pumped. Okay. Great. Yeah. I'm, I'm friends with Allison uh, who owns Fabled. And Fabled. So, oh, okay, great. Cool. Yeah. That's fun. The rest of my team will be there to meet you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, Scott, you are a painter. Mm-hmm. You are, well, you're lots of things. You're a writer, you're a painter, you're a parent, you're a spouse. And hearing about your vocational journey over the years has been fascinating to me. And so I've, I've jotted down kind of like a rough timeline and some notes, but I'd love to just hear you talk about like, how did you come to be performing and creating art and writing books and co-writing books, which is a different experience, I'm sure, than... Mm-hmm creating one yourself. You're also a spiritual director, but I think like me, probably one-on-one spiritual direction with people is not a core part of that ministry and calling for you. So would you just tell me about your vocational journey and how you got to where you're at and all that jazz? Yeah. Um, I, well, my education in college was uh, teaching and art. So I was like in the ed program and I was in the art studio art program and art education. So I graduated with a, a degree in uh, secondary art education. Mm-hmm. So uh, I did some traveling and went to, did a, like a Bible course a year in Europe. And, but I found myself in my twenties, mid twenties uh, being a, a high school art teacher at yeah. a, at a school. And I was 27. Well, one of the things I, when I went to this like Bible school program in Europe, I noticed, and I was gone from the United States for about a year and I traveled a bit. Um, I noticed that I would do art um, just on my own. Like I would make time to go into the basement. There was a space and I would just like do drawings and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is something that's in me. I need to make a space for it when I get home. And so when I got home, which was Seattle, Washington at the time, uh, I ended up getting this studio space in this church attic. And I just was like painting on the side just a couple couple nights a week while I was working and stuff. And so um, it's (laughs) there's lots of fascinating aspects to the story. But at 27, I was I remember being in my class during my prep period and writing on the board and just like, I just stopped and I was like, there's something else for me. I don't know what it is, but I can, I can feel this invitation to something. Hmm. And, uh, 
then I had this experience going to this Damien Rice concert with the frames played. And I I ended up having this like trippy experience where I saw art being made. And then two weeks later, I was going to New York to visit a friend and we went to that same concert and I had put together an eight page proposal. I went backstage. I didn't give it to Damien, but I gave it to Glenn Hansard. We gave it to (laughs) Damien. And what happened to me in New York is I met all these people who were like a couple of my friends were artists. They were doing their master's pro masters in arts. And I remember flying home and I was like, if I never try to be an artist, I'll always regret it. I don't even Mm. know what that fully means, like being an artist, but I'll always regret it. And, uh, so I decided to, um, I was like, I gotta, I gotta just choose this. So I quit teaching. I I stayed waiting tables, dedicated myself to full-time art. Um, I got married at that time. So my wife was my sugar mama and has been (laughs) Like currently she is now, uh, you know, like we give and take, but she allowed me to kind of pursue this like art career. What what I was also doing that had been happening is I was making things in front of people. It started with like doing some stuff at my church to in college, I would make these backdrops live with a, a, a female band that I knew a four, this like four person female band called Late Tuesday. I'd make these big drawings awesome. in the background during shows. And then this church in Seattle would keep inviting me to come and do stuff. And and then I was like, can I just paint every Sunday, like in the corner? And so I was like mm. painting in the corner, like literally in the corner, uh, mm. not even on the stage, just in the corner during every service, like translating the service into a visual medium. And so I was doing all this stuff. And then that I started doing more of that at churches. And then I started doing some conferences. And then I got kind of in the conference circuit with like, these kind of larger conferences. And so I was doing that for a while. And then that got me a lot of exposure that led to this invitation to this church in Houston, Texas, to do an artist in residency with them. Yeah, that's and Ecclesia, right? Ecclesia. And then yeah. I spent three years and I was still like touring and doing stuff, but I was based and I was like spiritually forming the community by being an artist and leading them in creative expression. So I painted every service every Sunday, which was five services a Sunday. So I made five paintings every Holy weekend. Moly. And I did that for like three years, which Ooh. which burned me out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I ended up leaving that job. Uh, I worked, I went, we went back to the Northwest. I worked for World Vision for a little bit doing college campaigns, but continued painting on the side. Then I got a job in Portland, uh, which we moved to Portland and uh, at this design agency, which they went to some financial troubles. So after seven months, I was laid off. And then I found myself in my late thirties laid off with a family of four at the time going, I don't know what the hell to do anymore. (laughs) And that's when this very deep conversation again came through a series of like disappointing failures where it was like, am I still called to be an artist? Hmm. Like not just as like a vocation, but like not, no, sorry, not just as a person, but like as a job. And the, and the answer was yes. And I was like, I don't know how to make that much money as an artist. And thus began kind of the start of really dedicating myself to thinking about how how do you make money as an artist? What is the stuff you want to talk about? Like obscurity is a very painful place to end up, but it is also the foundation from which you you start to have a voice. And a you, distinct voice, right? A distinct voice. Because in this place, like I, I literally found myself like in this basement, This some friends of mine ran this church and it, they were, I lost my studio space 
and they were like, you can have the space in the studio or like the space in the basement. I built out this little studio. There's no windows. They kept the trash down there once a week. <laughs> so it smelled like garbage. And I wasn't involved in anything. And I just remember being down there going, and the question was, what do you want to talk about? Hmm. Like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I hate how the culture I live in talks about God. It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. I want to talk about God differently. I want, I hate not hate, but I just like, I don't like the images that are associated with like the spirituality and the tradition I'm a part of. So many of them are just ugly. They're <laughs> or ugly are they, and they're, yeah, they, don't they, don't, fresh. they don't feel fresh. They don't feel human. They feel like mm. some kind of other story from a long time ago. It does nothing to do with now. And one of my muses as a teacher is to go, the only reason any faith tradition tells old stories is because those stories are still happening right now. And by telling those old stories, we see, it helps us see that it's going on right now too. And so I was like, I wanted to contextualize that through my art. And, and then that led to, and I started realizing, I was like, you know, I'm less of a studio artist. Like I don't want to spend eight hours a day drawing. I was like, I'm a, I've been a performer for years and I want to... <laughs> I've been put alongside a lot of bad teachers <laughs> to paint while they were teaching. And I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be <laughs> in charge of the narrative. And I had, if I can, I'm, I'm always, a, things make sense in story. If I can tell a story, even though Please. I've been talking for a long time, is I, uh, I got asked to speak at this um, SIVA convention. SIVA is Christians in Visual Arts. Great organization, mm -hmm. created like 40 years ago, um, helps kind of curate good art shows that are faith-based and it, it, it's a great group, but um, it was happened in Calvin college in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, I was just on a panel for like an hour. I was like one of five people, but I got to go to the whole thing. And I just remember like sitting in the audience and it was just like art professor after art professor giving like a lecture, like literally just reading their paper. And mm -hmm. I just remember looking around and I was like, where are all the weirdos? <laughs> like, is this an art conference? I was like, where are the weirdos? Like, I wanted somebody like Doc Brown from Back to the Future to just come in and be like, hi, I made all the stuff in my garage and it's great, thanks. You know, because that's what I feel like I'm a part of. Like, I'm an artist because I'm a haunted person. Like, I'm an artist because like things come to me every day and they're like, make me. And I'm like, I can't, I'm driving right now. I'll get an accident. Like make me, or we'll go away to somebody else. I'm like, fine. And I pull over and I draw it. You know, I'm like, I'm releasing the haunting. And I just felt I was at this conference that was trying to prove that it was so important that it lost its bizarreness and its weirdness. Mm -hmm. And, and then in that moment, I was like, oh, that's how I feel about church. I feel mm -hmm. like church is trying to spend all this time. It's so, this is the true religion. This is so important. And don't look at our religious superiority that it lost the fact that it's, aren't we a bunch of weirdos? Isn't this life weird? Like, what are we doing? What is, and I, as I started like kind of taking that filter back to these like sacred texts, I was like, oh, this is a bunch of people who found themselves in weird situations and, and with not a lot of answers, but were transformed in the midst of it. And I, and so for me, I was like thinking, I, it's really weird to think of myself as like a spiritual leader, but I was like, I want to create like weird liturgies. I want to create <laughs> art that, 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 speaks to like these deeply human experiences that are maybe taboo to talk about 
at a family friendly service. Um, not, not that it's saying we just like get into dick jokes and swear words, but I'm just saying like, 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 uh, this is a, 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 like life is very complex and gritty and robust and wonderful and, and heartbreaking and absurd at times. And a faith that can't have those vocabulary words in it is nothing I'm interested in anymore. Um, and and hearing you, hearing you talk about how a lot of your work is about creating a visual vocabulary, I think fits right Mm -hmm. in with that, Mm -hmm. that having the words for it, you know, in so many places and spaces, our words create our worlds. Um, and yet, certainly the, the visual, um, surroundings do the same for us. Yeah. I would even, I mean, maybe it's because it helps me have a job, but I would even submit that like our words are actually rooted in images. Like our Mm. words are the symbol set to describe what we're seeing externally or internally, our thoughts or feelings. Um, and so where we get tripped up in, faith or conversations is because we have these really bad internal images that Mm -hmm. stop working for us. So when somebody says, I don't believe in God anymore, you just say, well, what, tell me the God you don't believe in anymore. And they will picture, they will describe the God that they have an image of that doesn't work anymore. And usually Mm -hmm. you're like, yeah, I wouldn't believe in that one either. And um, I would say like what they're not getting away they're, they're not getting necessarily rid of God as much as like the image that God represents doesn't work anymore. Hmm. And so by adding a different picture or image of God, that word can then become like, oh, I just had a limited idea or limited image of what that word symbolized or stood for, you know? So I think there's this very like, uh, at least for me, I try to create stuff that's didactic and and expansive and and uh, is confronting. I th- like I actually, for me, I'm like the only way to really transform people is to switch out their images, is mm-hmm. to switch out their interior images, and that's that's what I'm trying to do. I ha- I have this live show called Say Yes that's obviously on pause because we're not doing shows anymore, but I'm <laughs> translating it as a book, and you know taking an experience and translating to a book is a whole thing. But one of my uh, rules for the show was just like, uh, you know, two days later, people are going to forget the 90 minutes of content you said Hmm. there. They'll remember some things, but what they're going to remember mostly is the images you implanted in them. So Hmm. say yes is a, is a vehicle for image implantation. (laughs) if that makes sense like my friend uh when i was first starting it uh she came and a few days later i was i was like hey what did you what do you remember about that show and she thought for a second she goes uh i remember you laid on the ground which is like the final scene and was like perfect that's what the whole thing is about is about that practice of like giving up laying on the ground dealing with your life you know and i was like okay so this whole thing is to get you to just go ah maybe I should lay on the ground, you know? And so I was mm-hmm. like, I have to keep that in mind with this book, like a book, there'll be underlinings and things and stuff. But I was like, uh, really, this is like a delivery system for images to implant in people, whether they can use it with their imagination while they're reading, or I can illustrate it for them. I love the clarity that you have around your work and the ways in which you have named things. I mean, certainly your visual person, that's what we're talking about. But um, I think one of your strengths is, your ability to put words with images in ways that are 
helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, which of course is why I'm excited about you having not only co-created several books, but now, now to have created my first book on my own. Yay. Yeah. It's a big deal. It is. Okay. I want to go back briefly. Um, I heard you talk about how the season that you were at world vision, one of the great benefits of that was it had great healthcare, which yeah. led to um, a kind of a season of focusing on your your mental health. And I don't know if I don't know if that was your first exposure to counseling, but that's been such a, an important part of my life and my own spiritual formation and transformation. That um, I don't know. I just I think it's cool how you you start with maybe a problem or a haunting, as you have said it. Actually, let me start there. When did you first start calling your experience a haunting and and reckoning with it? Was it all the way back as a high school art teacher where you first said like, no, I really have to like be an artist? Or did you start putting that haunting language around it later? That's a great question. I, nobody's ever asked me that question. It uh, So bravo. I will send you a gold star. Uh, <laughs> it, I think there, I mean, there is this, like when I've asked like my parents or my wife, I'm like, do you get these kind of downloads? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, I think you, you just, I started becoming aware that I was invited to a, a certain kind of dance. It doesn't make me mm-hmm. more special than others. It's just how, it's just the doorway that I've, discovered was opening up in me and Mm -hmm. like it's really hard to describe but like I and I guess you would call you know imagination is the faculty or the space that images are formed Mm -hmm. um so you so if we could imagine there's like this room in you that the future comes to and goes this is a possibility and you go, oh, okay. And then it's like inviting you into that future possibility. And we call that space imagination. Um, and prayer can happen there. It's in fact, mostly prayer. Um, but imagination can also lead us down destructive paths as well. So we have to be very careful in what we curate in there. Um, but I, I, the earliest remembrance I had is I did this thing called the crucifixion according to Radiohead. Hmm. And... Um, which was this non-speaking Good Friday meditation on the crucifixion of Jesus. And I used Radiohead music. I used certain song. I used a song list as the Stations of the Cross. And I made this video playlist. You can watch this online. I made this video component. And then I was making this giant crucifixion painting. And then at at, at the part where Jesus dies, I cut it in half and it reveals this other thing, symbolizing the curtain cut and all that. That ca- that came to me, like I remember the first time, like listening to some. I think I was, when I had like a big chunky iPod, I was listening <laughs> to a Radiohead song, and it was "You're All I Need" and from uh, "In Rainbows," and I just was like, "This is for something." I like I. It's hard to describe, but I. It's totally. I have a picture of a poster from uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind where uh, Richard Dreyfuss is like playing with the mashed potatoes. And he's like, this is, <laughs> this means something because it's that same experience where you're just like, I don't know what this is, but this is for something. It's going to go somewhere. So there's this like invitation to pay attention 
Yeah. It's like you're you're go it like creativity. Like I don't it doesn't matter to me to like call it God. It's like the muse, inspiration, create whatever it is. I mean, I would say it's God, but the God is like a easy word to describe an unfathomable mystery. So it's like this thing is this thing is inviting me to pay attention in inviting me into something. And so now I've come to know that my job I'm trusting that that inspiration is going to take care of my bills. So I'm, my job is to just be paying attention to where what I'm being invited to like co-create with. And that was kind of like the earliest thing, like that song. And then I started seeing some things. I distinctly remember when I was putting it together, just going through every Radiohead album, going through every song, going, nope, nope, nope. Oh yeah, this one, mm, that's for number five. Nope, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. Next album. Nope, nope. Oh, this song, this is number 10. You know, like just, and it was all there. It was almost effortless. It was, it's, it was a bizarre experience. Um, so that's, that's where it's like the haunting is like this thing that's invisible is coming into my midst without me like asking it. It just like without permission, it just comes. Yeah. I have a similar experience. Um, yeah. I've never thought of it as a haunting or called it that, but hearing you talk about it that way, just it it mirrors my own experience. I'm not a visual artist, but um, I feel that way in my – it's a big part of my own discernment hmm. and how I experience God and how I um, – you know, figure out what I'm, what I'm called to at any given time. And also a, it's a way that I feel like I'm prepared ongoingly, yeah. um, for the next thing as, as it comes. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And in fact, I, I love your approach to your work in that way. I think it's, um, similar in some ways with the way that I approach work that I start with either like a problem that I want to see someone solve maybe I just want someone to solve it, or maybe I want, uh, I, I do feel particularly equipped to solve it. Um, or I just start with like this sense that I'm supposed to do something and mm. then I start doing it. And then as it unfolds, the next thing comes, the next thing comes, but it's yeah. from, yeah. um, kind of removing that poverty of imagination. And of course you don't like remove a poverty of imagination, you cultivate imagination, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you create space. And in that creation of space, in that um, attentiveness, presence, you notice the next thing and notice the next thing. And then as you're doing those, um, I, I then will get asked from people who've been impacted by our work, like, Hey, what about this? Or I heard you talk about that. I want to hear more. Or mm -hmm. um, please, 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 can you give me more of this? And it sounds like Honest Advent came from a similar experience that you had where you were sharing uh, different art that you had created to explore what it means for God to be incarnate mm. and human and covered in flesh and come through a woman's body and be born, which... Um, you have kids. I have kids. Um, that's a whole thing. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. the story, the story that we get about Mary, um, is all too tidy. Um, yeah. and so I'm not surprised at all that, especially a lot of women really resonated with the ways that you were exploring God being born as a human and coming in Advent. So that yeah. led to your book, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny when we were, uh, 
bringing this around to different publishers, one publishing house, some of the women at the table were like, why would, what does a man have to say about, why is a man like drawing these pregnancy pictures and <laughs> discussing this? And it's a great question. I was like, that's a valid question. Yeah. Um, and I would, and I immediately say like, oh, I could never fully communicate what it must be like to be a mom and to, and to birth life out of you. I, ha I have no idea. In fact, I say like in the book, I'm like, I ask my wife all the time, like, describe it to me. What's it like? You know, and she can only kind of through limited language can describe what it's like, but, but I have bared witness to it. Mm -hmm. And I think what my, uh, what I wanted to do was go, I, I, can I, can I bear witness to what I have seen? Uh, as a spouse, as a partner, as a father, to the the risk and the vulnerability of birth, and this all started like four years ago in a in a time that was very similar to now, which was a divisive and exhausting election, mm. um, massive destruction in Syria, multiple school shootings. There was the Zika virus, Flint water crisis, a lot of a lot of awful things, and then. It was like mid-November, and I, I think I was going to Target or CVS or something, and and then the dusting of Christmas decorations had fallen on everything, you know, like mm -hmm. it does, mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, yeah, Christmas. And I love Christmas. I'm a big fan. I'm one of those losers that puts the radio station on their speed dial that plays Christmas music 24-7, <laughs> and I listen to it. I love it. It's great. I'm all about the decorations and the ceremony, but this particular year... I just was like, man, this feels irrelevant to the world I live in. Hmm. Not even just like the shallow Santa story, which I'm fine with. Although like, I feel like on Netflix and stuff, we're like, whoa, how many more Santa stories do we need? <laughs> but like, it was just even my own Christian imagery from the tradition I'm from was just like, it's sanitized. Jesus looks like he's three months old and he's had a bath and he can hold mm -hmm. his head up, you know? And I was like, that's not the alien baby they give you right after pregnancy. It sure and isn't. I was like, I was like, pregnancy's painful. It's risky. It's uncomfortable. It's got a lot of fluids involved. And like, and, and, and I was like, it's, in, it's very vulnerable. And what hit me was like, um, it was like God, the divine incarnating into our world came through the same way we all do, which is human vulnerability. And I, what I was asking was just like, Jesus, like, where do I find you in the midst of this? Cause this ritual that we've come up with feels really shallow now and empty. Yeah. And I was like, where are you in this? And then, uh, and it was musing like, well, is Christmas a memorial service or a birthday party? Cause a memorial service is like, this happened long ago. Yay. And a birthday party means it's still happening. And if you ask any kid at Sunday school, what's Christmas? They're like, it's Jesus' birthday. So it infers oh, yeah. that it's still going on. And I was like, how is it still going on? And where I was led to was going, it's going on still through human vulnerability. And so uh, I, I spent time meditating on the vulnerability of what's asked of a mother to, to bring forth a baby, what's asked of a uh, you know, uh, a husband and a father, what's asked of the parents, what's asked of the community, what's asked of like, uh, and then even just considering like the vulnerability of being weak in the world, starting off weak and continuing and having weaknesses and these things. And, 
and it those yeah so i started doing these illustrations and then i tested it out on instagram and i got this really overwhelming response from women for a number of reasons now i think in retrospect one was they were like nobody oh, i haven't seen any depictions these feel very honest to my experience as a woman and that was really humbling and honoring to to know that i had um that I captured it well and they felt like I wasn't being a poser or trying, you know, like I was, it was an honor because it was, it was like trying to honor the experience. And then maybe a little bit taking a little bit deeper is that um, most of the imagery created around the nativity have been created by men and uh, have chosen intentionally to sanitize or give a certain kind of perspective. And uh, one of the things that I, uh, as a man, I'm very frustrated about is the institutional um, and cultural diminishing of the female body. Um, even from like Old Testament, where it's like, "Hey, you have a you have a period. You got to go outside the camp." It's like, "Well, who? God, didn't you create the period?" So that feels really douchey, um, you know. But like, <laughs> then even to uh, like the you know this view of women are lesser in authority than men. And then even in a culture I grew up with is like, you can't ride in a car with a woman by yourself or an elevator because you'll have sex with them. So mm -hmm. they're the problem and we have to make sure, you know, is this, this, it's always this, like the female body, the female essence is the problem. And I was like, in this story, the avenue for God's arrival is the female biology. And it should be honored and it should be given its place. And, and that was my own kind of pushback on at least, at least if I was like other men in the world, I was like, I just want to be a part of be like, uh, I don't agree. I actually think whatever has been happening is needs to stop. And this was my kind of offering. Um, that's why I think why should a guy write about this stuff is like, I'm not trying to take the place of any woman's experience. I'm just trying to like, push back on the the decades and centuries of male uh, censorship. Well, I think it it illuminates um, what I've heard you talk about as uh, the ways in which you and your wife ping pong back and forth and um, even what you've said about how your family isn't – oh, shoot. Now I lost <laughs> – my, my screen went black um, – how you've said that your children aren't in the way that they are the way yeah. and how you realized that you needed to, um, really that's think, still a struggle <laughs> Think through who you, who you yeah. respected and who you wanted yeah. to emulate. Because I mean, mm -hmm. I have, I have that concern so often to people I follow on Instagram or people that I'm just in all of their work, uh, in the world, largely at large, um, that I'm like, man, this is incredible. But like, that would suck to be this person's kid. Like they're like, never home, don't exist. Yeah. And if they are, yeah. aren't at all present. Yeah. Um, and so I love that you have said that, that your children and your family aren't in the way from you being faithful, from you doing the work you're called to, but that they really are the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that particularly the art that you've created the book that you've written around honest advent comes out of that posture. So I'm, I'm curious if you'd say more about the ways in which your children maybe help you rekindle wonder um, oh, yeah. and the ways in which they teach you. Yeah. Uh, I continuing on the trend of therapy. I, I met with this woman for a little bit and our first intake session is like an hour and a half of questions. And the sure. question that floored me was 
Scott, what are your hobbies? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? She's like, what are your hobbies? And I was like, you mean things other than taking care of children and working? I was like, I don't have any hobbies. And that haunted me in a different way. It stuck with me because I was like, a hobby is really, what do you do to just enjoy living? Hmm. That's all a hobby is. It's just, just like, what do you do that doesn't have an outcome or a test or an accomplishment? It's just something you do to like being alive. And I was found myself at a spot where I was like, I don't do anything to like being alive. Hmm. And um, so children force you to like being alive because they stand in the way of the rat race of accomplishment, at least for me. We're in my wife. uh, She's a food blogger and doing really well. They just landed a big cookbook deal. I have a book due soon at the end of the year, at least the kind of fun. Yeah. So we're both in the midst of like COVID trying to do book projects, trying to run families. (laughs) And we have a two-year-old at home because of, uh, of a surprise, not a surprise, but (laughs) intentional change. Um, and we're just like, how do we do this? And yeah, it leads to arguments and stuff. But like when I, Jones is our youngest, when I take Jones, like on the trampoline and stuff, I try to just not like go, you're preventing me from getting, writing that next chapter, I just go, isn't it night? Like, isn't it enjoyable to be alive with you? And like, it just is a helpful, like move. I, I, uh, there's a lot of responsibility. It gets, you know, we all have our moments as parents that we have to give kindness and forgive ourselves for losing our tempers or feeling the way we do. Um, I often will say like, I love my kids. I don't necessarily love being a parent, but I love my kids. Um, (laughs) But that invitation is, is it's, it's saying it so I can live into it, which is like, they're not in the way they are the way they're teaching you about life. They, at the end of your life, you're like, work wasn't more important than them. You know, like it, yeah, I just, I know they're a gift. It just is a tension with also wanting to like, what do you do with your ambition and what do you do with wanting to, to do things? And, and I, have legitimate thoughts, which is like, I might be more accomplished if we didn't have children. Anytime I see people doing lots of things, I'm like, do they have kids? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's always my Mm -hmm. question. And when they don't, I'm like, I see, I I would do that too. Uh, Yeah. And my question too is like, and and what's that relationship like? If the answer is yes, (laughs) and they're doing all the things, um, then my question is like, okay, and what's their relationship like with their spouse? Yeah. And um, what do their kids think of it? Yeah. Um, There's always a, yes. Yes, I always wonder that. Partnership I, is I, hard. I, partnership <laughs> is hard. I'm always like, I'm always like, there's probably a dark side that we're not seeing. Sure. And we've seen that come out with a lot of like leaders that we were like, really them? Um, not all of them had kids, but a lot of them did. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely think there's like, um, yeah, there's always something hidden. I I just I know some like really well-to-do or well-known spiritual leaders and like yeah, their family lives are messes. <laughs> you yeah. know. Yeah. It's like of course when you're gone 15 days out of the month. Yeah. 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 We yeah, we have a 1-year-old, a 2-and-a-half-year-old and a 5-year-old and I am amazed at the ways in which they bring me into the present. Um, I'm, a, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a more future-oriented person, and 
my husband is a very past oriented person. And yet I, I think one of their greatest gifts to us is the ways in which they pull us into the present because I can't, <laughs> I can't be the parent for them that I want to be tomorrow. I can only be the parent that I am right now in the middle of like mm-hmm. trying to get dinner ready and I'm angry and I'm tired and I'm frustrated and this didn't go the way I planned. And why did you just have an accident? And, you know, like yeah, I think, yeah. but it's also the place in which the divine breaks in. And um, it, honestly, it's given me a lot of humility to yeah. have to apologize. It's, it's can be very humbling. It is very humbling to apologize to a two-year-old, but I also think it, it models for them our humanity and our messes and our screw-ups mm-hmm. and invites them into, um, I don't know, they know that that's okay and that it has a place in our family, both yeah. the screwing up and the apologizing and yeah. that it's important, you know. I think um, too, like that, I think that's right on. And then I also like, what do you do with your ambition? I, I remember kind of at that time where I was unemployed and like, what should I do? And was like, I think I should do art again as a career. And, um, my friend's dad died and, uh, not in a good way. And I went to his funeral and my, my, my friend gave a really honest eulogy about how his, his relationship with his dad was complicated. And I remember sitting there and going, I'm going to die one day too, which is always the lesson from funerals. (laughs) And, Uh, but I was like, my kids are going to give a eulogy about me. And I probably, my, my friend's dad was a a really wealthy fisherman crabber up in Alaska. So he had a lot of money. Um, I was like, I, I mean, I think I'll do, I'm going to do great in my lifetime, but like (laughs) traditionally being an artist is a thrifty life. So I was like, there's probably, you know, I might not leave a lot of money for my kids, but I am going to leave away an idea of what living is. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're going to talk about. That's what you talk about at funerals is like, this is what they thought living was and here's how they lived it. And it touched our lives. And I was like, what's going to happen when my oldest son Anders is like in his mid twenties. And he's like, dad, I have this dream. It's a risk. It's kind of scary. It's maybe not the, like the most responsible thing to do, but I, I feel like I should do it. What am I going to say to him? Son, I had a dream once, but then I gave up on it because I had you and I had to choose the safe route. And I, in that moment, I was like, uh, this is, and this is kind of the balance or the tension was like, I am living that example right now. My kids need to see that I deeply care about something and I want to do something and yet don't have to throw them away in the process. That's the best thing I can model to them is also pursuing my own dreams and passions. And I think, and that, I think that tension, and it's always going to be a tension. It's never balanced, but I was like, that's also important because it's, you could be home all the time, but you could be dead inside (laughs) in front of your kids. Um, And that is worse. You know, like I have a parent, I have one of my parents who, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but who spent a lot of their life watching a lot of television. And now later on in their life, they're like, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. And I was like, you had five hours a day to do something, <laughs> which you, which you wasted spending, like trying to find something to fill the time, you know, like there's a way to turn off or to commit like a, a suicide on a spectrum. You can yeah. give up on your life in lots of different ways because you're like, it's too hard or I'm exhausted. And that's re- 
it's really valid. You know, like we're all exhausted parents. Uh, when I go out to dinner with my friends here and we get babysitters, we're just, we look at each other. We're like, you look good, but we all look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's be honest. We're all worn out. <laughs> Glad we dressed up, but that makeup can't cover those sags. You know, like, we are tired. <laughs> good to have friends that can, uh, can yeah, share a season fun. with you and uh, yeah, laugh at left stuff. But yeah, I, I think it's true that so many of us numb rather mm-hmm. than keeping wonder kindled. Um, and so I love, I love that that's a, a part, a big part of, of your work and the way that I've experienced it. Um, I'm curious if there is a particular rhythm or practice or, or even just a larger posture that mm. has, has been really foundational for your ongoing discernment and your creation um yeah yeah um daily weekly yearly since kids started going back to school my mornings have been tough because i'm up at 6 5 30 this morning um and then like making breakfast and lunches and getting them out the door um so I used to get up around the same time and go when they weren't going to school and go on like long walks in my neighborhood, hmm. like prayer, prayer walks and stuff. So I, I need to, uh, I need to adjust also like have a book coming out, working on another book, just, you know, not making excuses, but just the rhythms have been tricky. And so I'm just like, Oh, where can I find those spots? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, uh, Kind of like you, like I, I thought for a while I wanted to be a vocational minister and then that never really worked out. Um, I don't, in some ways, maybe I, I did set out to be a spiritual leader, but I, I often am like, I didn't set out to do this. I wish I could talk about other things mm-hmm. <laughs> so and not get back to like, I guess the spiritual aspect of life, but it, it keeps bringing me back. So one of the things that I see as like a tenant of being a person who doesn't flame out or lead to some big scandal is like, I have to have a secret life with God that I, that I, that informs my public life with God. Yes. And um, I remember talking with my spiritual director when, uh, what prayer was when our prayer book, we self-published our first prayer book, Justin and I did, and then we got a publishing deal. And so we re-released it. And I remember a bunch of churches were like going to use it because they're, I was talking to my spiritual director and I was like, man, like I know four different churches, including my own, who I'm on the teaching team with that we're like, we're going to do a series on prayer because people are like, I just don't know how to pray anymore. Hmm. And, and my director, and he meets with like a lot of the head pastors in Portland. And Hmm. he goes, Scott, can I tell you that like everybody I meet doesn't have a prayer life. They're Hmm. all so busy doing ministry that to ask them, like, when was the last time you just got away for a few hours with God and prayed? They're like, I haven't. And not to condemn those men and women, but it hit me. It was like, what, what is the essence of what I do? I am a, I am a listener. Mm-hmm. I actually, <laughs> I have a sign. I, I was at the gym with my friend, Kurt, and we were on a treadmill together and talking about stuff. I was like, I don't know, Kurt. My job, I just take dictation from the silence. That's what I do. And he's like, <laughs> dude, that's the title of your biography. Dictate, take dictation from the silence. And somebody actually wrote it. I have a picture of it up on my wall. Cause I was like, that is my job kind of is to just be a listener is to, is to, 
is to make space to foster a, re- a secret conversation, a secret relationship with the divine, and then have the work I, that I do come from that. I know it's always tricky when you do spiritual stuff, you're always like mining your relationship for content. And I get, and I get that and I probably do it too much uh, at times, but I... I think at the core of what I do is like, you need to smoke what you're selling. If you're not, <laughs> go sell real estate. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Like yeah. that's when I see people doing spiritual stuff and then they just turn out to be complete phonies. I was like, well, what did you think this was all about? Like mm-hmm. go, you're do something else. That's fine. But like, I don't know. I just, I know I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just like, but jeez, <laughs> What do you think this is about? Like, if you're going to be a person who's going to speak about a relationship with God, you have to do it. And I, and for me, that involves a lot of grace uh, and a lot of forgiveness. One of the things I've had to work on recently is feeling like I probably the rest of my life, I'll never feel like I'll, I can accomplish good spirituality. I, I'm always mm-hmm. going to feel like a failure, which is maybe my Enneagram fourness. So why don't you just make that failure, that feeling of failure, the doorway that connects you to God? Just instead of like thinking you need to feel a different way, feel Mm -hmm. this and go, this is how you're connected to God, Hmm. which is vulnerability, which is Jesus going, heaven celebrates one sinner going, I don't have it together versus a hundred people who are like, I got it. You know what I'm saying? And that has been really helpful to go, oh, the feeling of failure is my connection to God. Not to God, not to God, not that God's, I God to know God is to know love. So God is to know God is to know my belovedness. It's my own like way I was taught that I'm deconstructing, which is like you have to earn love. That's that's where it comes from. I, th- I think so, it speaks to your ability to name and rename um, that you can that you can call it. You can see it that way, um, hmm. and I I think that comes out in, in the rest of your, your work. I'm, I'm curious if there are parts of your, your own spiritual practice that you have chosen to set aside and say like, okay, when I do this thing or in this space or in this time, this stuff, I'm not going to talk about directly or like, I don't know. I I have had seasons where I did so much reading the Bible for the purpose of mining and teaching Mm -hmm. that I I had to go through long stretches where I was like, okay, I'm going to read the Bible. And like, it's not, it's not for anybody else. It's just for me. And so in those seasons, Lexio Divina and then Visio Divina um, have been really helpful practices to me. And I think, um, I don't know, I, I, I see fruit of that in your work. So I'm curious if, mm. if you have done similarly where you've set aside a practice or a season for learning, for growth. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now my scriptural reading is, is kind of mining some, <laughs> something, uh, but it is actually just trying to learn and embody this, this idea of like the way we connect with God is vulnerability. Um, and so I'm going through the gospels and looking how, uh, how everybody interacts with Jesus. Like what's the vulnerability that they're connecting with Jesus on. And then I'm letting that excavate me. Um, and 
you know, like this, I'm like, this will definitely be like a series of images or a book one day or like, I'm like, mm-hmm. there, there'll be something out of this, but that's, that's not, that doesn't make me a phony. Like Certainly the, not, the, no. the artist, the artist knows that their job is to go and participate in transformation and then translate that and invite others to do the same. So my secret conversation with God right now is like, how is, how is learning to be vulnerable with you transforming? And how can I see this modeled by individuals in in these like sacred texts that allows me to do that as well? Like for one, uh, like, and I actually just did a sermon on this, so it's out there, but like uh, Nathaniel, when I think it's Andrew, Andrew's like, we met the, oh, Philip, Philip's like, we met the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then when they bring him to Jesus, Jesus is like, here's an Israelite who has no sin and then, uh, or who's that with, like, without any faults. And Nathaniel's like, whoa, how do you know me? And Jesus is like, I saw you under the fig tree, which Jesus is saying, I saw you when you made fun of where I came from. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, as I spent time with that, I was like, yeah, I don't like it when, I like being in control of how people know me. Hmm. I don't like I don't like it when people know me, even, even you, I'm like, oh, I can tell you did some research. You're like (laughs) saying, quoting me on things. I'm like, I didn't know she would, I didn't let Jen know that. Um, (laughs) You know, there's a lack of control and, and thing there. And so this vulnerability that I was invited to is like, uh, yeah, what if Jesus has seen all the times you've made a fun of this whole thing, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, and still is like, hey, yeah, you're, uh, I see you and you're, you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so just kind of expounding on that, which I metaphored that with like your, uh, I was like, that's like, that's like your most embarrassing moment, <laughs> which is like what you say to other people, your most embarrassing moment is, is not actually your most embarrassing moment. That's, oh, that's yeah, the, never. that's the embarrassing <laughs> moment you're willing to let people know about you. Your it's most embarrassing. usually. <laughs> Yeah, your most embarrassing moment is the one where you'd like, I would lose everything if people knew about this. Mm-hmm. And that is that is like the deeper thing. So 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 that kind of part that kind of exploration is like my own kind of transformative. It's like where I feel invited, it's where I'm curious. And then that will then be because I understand like my work is to then like, okay, then how could you <sighs> offer this to people as, you know, so I have to go through the transformation first. So there, so there's that. And then, um, yeah, just practicing prayer, um, in different ways, um, through walking through silence with a candle in this room that I'm in things like things like that. So there's, there's, there's little aspects of that mm-hmm. that I do. Yeah. I, I think it's, clear that we are called to something when you can't not do it. And Mm. so, um, I heard someone saying earlier this week that, you know, the way, you know, you're a teacher is when you learn something new, if you can't keep it to yourself, you have to share it with someone. (laughs) Um, Mm. and it's so true. And I, I think with so many in ministry, you have, you have people that are often, um, well, I, I particularly saw this. I I did a degree in religion as an undergrad and saw so mm. many people that I was like, dear Lord, please never let these people lead <laughs> anyone else yes. in prayer. Like, please yes. don't let them preach. Like, they were some of the most wounded people I'd ever um, known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, some of that was just enough maturity to see 
see that. And really that's just everyone. Um, But some of it was the truth that you had people who were just deeply wounded and desperate to prove or be proved that like, you know, have God really proved to them that they really were loved and acceptable. And so I, I, I think that some of our deepest work is to get to a place where we have nothing to hide, nothing to prove, not that things aren't personal that we choose to keep to ourselves. Um, But there's a difference between saying like, Hey, this part of my life is like, I'm not sharing it. Um, Mm. Or, or I'm sharing it with like the person I bump into at the grocery store. I'm sharing it with the person that I sit next to at church. I'm sharing it with my neighbors, but I'm not like sharing it on the internet. Right. Yeah. Um, But having a robust life in that space is such a grounding foundational aspect of, I think the work that's mine to do in the world. And that, that allows me then to show up in the ways that I'm called and teach or preach or, or lead retreats or, you know, <laughs> make different spiritual formation tools. Yeah. But it, it comes from a place where like, I can offer this because I have nothing to hide because I have nothing to prove. It's just fruit. Like it just, I had to make it, I was haunted. It came to me, it came yeah. out, like I had to do it. There was no other option. Um, so I, I am, I'm grateful that, that you have a, secret life, I guess is what I mean to say. Um, Well, I appreciate that. I I mean, admittingly, the place I struggle is, is knowing where to do that because Mm, I am mm -hmm. intentionally putting myself uh, in between contexts. So at the beginning of say yes, which is a, which is kind of like a, a liturgy of, I call it a liturgy of not giving up yourself. It's like a church service about suicide. And it's a comedy and art show and musical and all these weird things. But at the beginning of it, I say, here's what we know about being here is that here is life is a, a mixture of sacred moments and dick jokes at the same time. <laughs> but we can't go to the comedy club and be too sacred because that's not the place for that. And we can't go to the sacred place and be too crass because that's not the place for that either. And I understand and respect both of those contexts. I just think when we go to either one, we wish it was a little bit more because we understand we're a little bit more. And so in order for us to have the conversation that we're going to have tonight, we're going to have to make a space for the little bit more, the all of us, you know? And um, I intentionally made a spiritual show that has a dick joke in the middle of it. And it's about a centaur. So it's not really about a real person, but it <laughs> it it is, but there are some, like, I guess you would say crasser moments because I'm intentionally trying to go like what I think is very destructive to a spiritual life is how much we compartmentalize our lives. Mm. We go like, this is who I am as a religious person. And this is who I am just as a human being. And then it's, my friend said, it's like a, it's a, it's baby stepping to a completely divided life. And I want to see, I want to, I think a a spirituality that last is, is learning to be integrated and whole. Um, And, and so, uh, I guess what I've done is I've kind of created my own thing because I'm yeah. which which has happened at churches and has happened at at a comedy club one time it's happened at bars or theaters um and it's because I'm like if I really wanted to be successful in religion I would start talking a certain way and then that could get me to all the big venues but if I really wanted to be successful in performing arts I would talk a certain way and that would get me into all those places but I'm deciding and I'm learning to talk the way that I want to talk and I'm not sure where it goes. And that yeah. is a, and that, that, that makes me uncomfortable or 
sure. hesitant sometimes because I'm like, I don't know where this goes. But I know when I do it, people are like, this is exactly how I feel in the world. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is it. And I've actually seen steps in comedy, like with Hannah Gatsby, um, her special, which she addresses uh, like her own mental health and stuff like that. It's like half funny, half not. Uh, Neil Brennan, his three mics, he has three different mics. One's like one-liners, one's comedy, and one's serious stuff where he doesn't make any jokes. He talks about his serious stuff a lot. So I'm seeing in comedy this kind of like move to more sacred things. Mm-hmm. And then I think like in the sacred stuff, there are like some teachers who I think like are bringing more comedy into the sacred. So they're yeah. kind of moving towards. And I would say like, I guess I'm coming from the sacred side, trying to bring in the more like middle, not that the goal is the middle, but the goal is to go like, <laughs> isn't it interesting what we are, which is a paradigm <laughs> of a juxtaposition of complete opposites. And yet that is the magic of our lives, you know? And like, that's- The goal is whole, th- right? Like the, the goal, goal is whole. whole. And that's where whole. I was like, that's where I was like, where are all the weirdos? <laughs> that's what my deepest heart was like. I don't understand. Like, where aren't you weird too? Why is this not more weird? Cause this is all weird. Yeah. So maybe I should start my own church. Although that would probably kill me. <laughs> Cause <laughs> I think somebody like Nadia Boltz Weber, who's I'm a big fan of, you know, I think she created that culture at a church for all sinners and saints in Denver. Yeah. Um, and now she's moved on from that, but like, yeah, like, you know, I think you have to create that from the ground up because piggybacking on the institutional religion, it's you're either an oddball or you'll get fired or I don't know. Or maybe it is the thing everybody's looking for. I, I think that's the kind of spirituality that people I think what's dying is the dividedness. I think what's I think what I think institutions that propagate dividedness are going away. And I think like groups that are helping provide a holistic faith are, are on the rise. Yeah. I think so too. I think, um, it's sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. If you are your whole self all the time (laughs) and you care about your whole self and you care about someone else's whole self, then everything has a place. Everything belongs, right? As, as Roar says. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm, I'm with you that I think there are, there are those of us that want to tend to our whole lives, our whole selves, and to have a spirituality that has room for that, makes room for that, and um, that we that we're not led to feel divided. You know, our work is called Sacred Ordinary Days, and that's mm-hmm. the hope that it's that we help people see their lives as both and all the time, which I think speaks speaks to Advent. It's the already and the not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, at at the same time. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you one more question and then give you a chance to riff or, or, (laughs) you know, or whatever you want. Um, Kayla, before I ask the last question, do you have anything to, to chime in and say? Yes, ma'am. Perfect. Okay. So Scott, as we are, um, as, as Advent is a season for the preparation 
of the coming of Christ into the world, incarnate, in a body, through a body. I'm curious in what ways you are looking forward to celebrating Advent this year in a pandemic and also (laughs) um, in the midst of your real messy life, which is launching a book, which is finishing another manuscript, which is loving your wife and your children well, which is you know, this dance that you're doing with your wife where you're both entrepreneurs. So like, what's Advent going to look like for you this year? And then I'd love to hear your favorite Advent hymn. I know some people are like super particular. There's like Advent music and there's Christmas music. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh You tell me, favorite Christmas song, favorite Advent song. Oh, I don't know if I have. I mean, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is my favorite. It's pretty great. Um, Yeah, I think. My friend Evan Wickham, he's like, this is my favorite theological song ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and in a lot of ways, that's true. I think it, I think it speaks to the mystery of incarnation very, very well. Um, and then, um, yeah, so that one, that one always gets me. Um, I, I don't know if there's an Advent. Can I pass on the Advent? <laughs> I guess sure, sure. I mean, just like Hark the Herald is my favorite. Uh, along with uh, uh, anything by Bing Crosby. Um, (laughs) Then, uh, yeah, that's a great question. What is Advent going to be like this year? Well, Advent is going to be, you know, partly involved with my job because I'll be, because I've resourced, I made all these images available for communities and stuff. So I think there'll be this like, Advent won't be alone for me. I'll be involved with Mm. a lot of different communities' lives, which I'm excited about. What a gift in a year like this. Which is really cool. And then um, I think it'll be really different for all of us because we've been propagating this like, like, um, you know, consumeristic, uh, you know, the fact that businesses run off of like Christmas sales, you know, is fascinating. Like yep. our holidays in a meshed with the business strategy for companies. Like that's, it's really fascinating. I think though, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of online shopping and some things, but there who knows how COVID's going to spike or whatever, but I, there'll be this kind of like diminished heightenedness of that. There's not going to be like, let's go downtown and go shopping and stuff. Cause that's just not what anybody's doing right now. So right. I, I, I hopefully in my, own, I think what's in capturing to me, what's been capturing my curiosity and my heart is kind of this like participating in the vulnerability we find ourselves in and meeting God in that, which is like a lot of things in our lives have been affected by a global pandemic, whether we like it or not. We, uh, we feel very vulnerable in a lot of ways, career as people, as people in a country with politics (laughs) on a global scale, you know, economically, all of these things. And so uh, if we can point to our vulnerability is the place that we can connect with God deeply, I think that there's this, I think that the the incarnation story, what, what I hope Honest Advent does is help mirror that this isn't a story that just happened back then. It's it's a story that's happening right now. Like Christ is still in our midst in all of like, I think it's even on the back of the book. It's like, uh, it's still happening today in your unexpected change of plans, your unaccomplished dreams, your humble new beginnings, you know? Like that's, that's all of, that's my life. My, 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 yep. unexp- my like changed plans, my starting overs. Um, yeah. And so I, I, uh, 
granted, I've been really invested in this content for a while now. <laughs> so uh, I've read through my own book like eight times. And, but like, I. This is kind of uh, a committed author. I committed other. Well, there's this kind of like, does this suck? I really want to know if this sucks or not. Yeah. And, and I don't think it does. <laughs> it does not. It. it does not. So, uh, so there was that making sure that it was honest and it was true to a human experience. But I, yeah, I think for me, that's where I'm going to be at is like Christ is coming in our midst now. Um, let's receive that newborn King through our vulnerability. And that is good news as we have so, so many places that we are certainly still praying for Christ to come in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships with our kids, in our work, in our world, in our politics. Like there's there are so many places that um, I'm inviting Christ to come and waiting expectantly for a whole season seems particularly fitting this year. So I'm grateful to you to have a conversation and to start getting to know you in a new way after um, being grateful for your work for a long time as an Enneagram eight and um, generally not a fan of vulnerability. This was (laughs) a pretty vulnerable morning for me. This is our first um, recording for our new relaunch. And uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and to be... And we're, and we're new neighbors, so like we'll, we are. You know, after this sickness hullabaloo or whatever, we'll we'll, we'll have we'll dinner. Get bump, we'll get yeah, we'll have dinner. We'll bump into each other. It'd be great. That sounds great. Awesome. Okay. Well, Scott, thank you so much. Hi, it's Jen again. Just wanted to thank you for listening to this unedited version of the conversation. You can find all the episodes, recommended reading lists, show notes, and extras at sacredordinarydays.com/podcast. Wherever you're listening right now, would you just? subscribe and leave a review. Plus, if you happen to be on Spotify, you can find all of our seasonal playlists and start listening now. I'm dying to hear what you think of the new format, flow, and feel, plus the addition of these full-length versions too. Would you let me know on social media or in your review? We're Sacred Ordinary Days on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, thanks!